of Worcester Talking News. Brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 5th of May, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock. I'm standing in for Sally Lowe this evening as editor. With me to read all the materials are Rian Holland, Hannah Green and Penny Welford. Our sound engineer is Nigel Green. Welcome all. We are, as usual, ably supported by the admin team, led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially the new ones. I do hope that everyone enjoys this offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, including theatre, readers' letters, birthdays and thought for the week. Obituaries are nowadays placed following the closing music, so if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned at that time. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present talking books are not available on memory sticks, but are rather on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. That's Worcester 01905 767766 or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So we'll start with birthdays. And this week there are three. The 8th of May is Barbara Moss, the 9th of May is Jane Staples and the 10th of May is Jill Price. So happy birthday to all three ladies. So now I'm going to ask Rian to read the thought for the week. Thank you. It's from Acts chapter 1 verse 3. After his suffering... Jesus presented himself to the apostles and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Thank you, Rian. And now those useful telephone numbers. Well, you've had the number here in Wilds Lane for Colin Chance House. The police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800-555-1. The Worcester Hub, Council Matters, 
Worcester seven six five seven six five. Worcester Live, that's theatre, including Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall, and the Sir Henry Sandon Hall. Worcester six double one four two seven. Malvern Theatres, zero one six eight four eight nine double two double seven. Out of Hours Medical Services. One, 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 and finally Samaritans, one one six one two three, and that is a free phone number. So now we'll read to you the headlines for the week, and I'm asking Penny to start with last Friday's. The headline story for Friday, April the twenty ninth. Leads. I can't send him back to school. Mum's fury as son filmed being attacked. And there's a picture.、Uh, the attack on a 13-year-old Jack Finch was filmed on mobile phones. Mum's fear after the attack. A mother says she is scared to send her children to school after her son was attacked on his way home, which was filmed on a mobile phone. Ashley Finch. Claims her 13-year-old son Jack, a pupil at Nunnerywood High School, was assaulted by a group of 20 after school, and believes the school are not doing enough to protect him. In a video captured by onlookers, the small teen is seen being swung around by another pupil and landing on the floor. Nunnerywood High School said it is aware of the incident on Wednesday afternoon and is investigating. Adding the well-being and safety of its students is a priority. The school declined to comment about other incidents Mrs. Mrs. Finch alleges have happened, including her son being thrown in front of a bus. The incidents have been reported to West Mercia Police. Mrs. Finch is keeping the teenager off school, as he was left with a large gash on the side of his waist and injuries to his face following the latest incident. She said, "He has just come out of school, and there were no teachers, no one to look out for him where they should have been. He has come home an absolute mess. This is my child, and I can't send him or his younger sister back to that school now. I just can't believe that this has happened." Tom Williams, acting head teacher at Nunnerywood, said they are investigating the incident. We are aware of the incident and of all the allegations that have been made. The school is following its procedures to ensure that both the incident and allegations are investigated in a thorough and impartial way. As a school, our priority is for the well-being and safety of our students. At this stage, we do not believe that commenting on the allegations made to you will benefit any of the students involved. Since we have not yet established the actions of all parties in what is a highly complex and sensitive situation, the boy's aunt and a passerby managed to stop the fight and called the police. Mrs. Finch claims that earlier this year a pupil pushed Jack into the path of an oncoming bus. She said, "This is an ongoing issue that the school know about, and they haven't done anything." The main boy had tried to push my son in front of a bus, 
He could have killed him. The school expelled him, but now he's been allowed back. Other children at the school are so afraid of these kids. West Mercia Police said it was investigating, but at the time of going to press, had not yet responded to the Worcester News. And on Saturday, April the 30th, the headline read, Flat Fire Kills 81-Year-Old. An elderly man has died in hospital after a fire at a block of flats in a Worcester estate. The 81-year-old was taken to Queen Elizabeth Hospital with serious injuries after the fire broke out at the home in Randwick Drive, Warnden. He later died at the hospital in Birmingham. Three fire engines, police cars and ambulance services were called to the fire shortly before 5pm on Thursday. Midlands Air Ambulance also landed on Fairfields Day nursery playing fields to take the man to hospital. Fire investigators are trying to establish the cause of the blaze, but do not believe it was started intentionally. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said, West Mercia Police attended a property in Worcester on Thursday, April 28th, following reports of a house fire. Officers can confirm that an 81-year-old man was taken to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital to be treated for burns, but has now sadly died. Fire investigators are investigating the cause of the fire. However, initial inquiries suggest it was accidental. The spokesperson confirmed next of kin have been informed. Three fire crews, two from Droitwich and one from Worcester, were alerted to the fire at 4.39pm. Firefighters extinguished the flames before handing the man over to a critical incident team and an air ambulance team. A Midlands air ambulance from Strencham arrived at around 5pm, landing on fields near Fairfield Day Nursery, before leaving at around 6.10pm. Police also attended the incident with three police cars present. West Midlands Ambulance Service has confirmed that the man suffered serious injuries in the incident. Monday, May the 2nd, online fears a threat to business. A takeaway boss has defended his business after a Facebook post was critical of their food. Faisal Khalid from Lowysmore Chicken and Pizza Restaurant, Munchies, said negative comments online were the most immediate threat to any company's reputation. He spoke out after a recent Facebook post in which a customer claimed the chicken wings she brought from Munchies were undercooked was shared multiple times. Munchies say all chicken grilled or fried at the takeaway is temperature checked and that pink meat is not a sign of meat being undercooked. Mr Khalid said, There's no need to worry about the quality or the safety of the meat, though we agree this discoloration isn't particularly appealing. It does not indicate that the meat is insufficiently cooked. The only way to safely check whether the chicken has been cooked is by using a thermometer and making sure it reaches at least 82 degrees centigrade. At Munchies, our policy is that all our fried chicken must reach at least 88 degrees centigrade and our grilled chicken must reach 85 degrees centigrade. 
He added that staff at Munchies are proud of the takeaway's five-star food hygiene rating and shared a video showing chicken fried that has been cooked to the correct temperature but still has a discoloration. This, he said, is due to the nature of mass-produced chicken sold to all takeaways. He also spoke of the impact social media comments can have on businesses already struggling with the spiralling cost of raw ingredients. Any negative social media content can destroy trust in our brand in a matter of minutes, he said. Trust that we have worked hard in building over the past 10 years. This is the most immediate threat to any company's reputation. If not taken seriously, it can and will directly impact our company financially and culturally. It doesn't even have to be accurate. A Just Eat spokesperson confirmed it was investigating a complaint, adding, We take food safety extremely seriously and actively work to raise standards across the takeaway sector. For us, it's really important that our customers have a positive experience when ordering their food online. And we're sorry to hear that, in this case, this customer's experience did not reflect the high standard we would hope to deliver. For my article from Tuesday, May the 3rd, there is a picture of a little girl in blue and white check school uniform and a navy cardigan looking as if she's preparing for something special. The headline is Learning New Life in Peace. Ukrainian refugee taking first steps in city school. A Ukrainian child who fled to the UK has been enjoying her first days at a Worcester school, despite only knowing a few words of English. Six-year-old Anastasalia Zabochot is settling into Red Hill C of E Primary School in Midhurst Close after escaping war-torn Kiev. Her mother, Anna, says her daughter has enjoyed starting at an English school and it has helped to take the child's mind off the Russian occupation of Ukraine. Mrs Danich said, The school, all the staff and teachers are very polite and we are very thankful for their kind attention. Despite not knowing any English, she's settled in well and has been made to feel really comfortable. She looks forward to going to school every day, which is amazing. It has been hard for her to understand the war, so it is so amazing to see her occupied and enjoying school. Mrs Danich of Kiev is living with her mother, Ala Danich, and Anastasia with hosts David and Alison Fraser in Worcester. Anna said, David and Alison are the most considerate, patient and understanding people and we are so grateful for them helping us. Before February the 24th, my family, my friends and I had a very happy and peaceful life that seemed stable and full of hope for the future. The most powerful feeling when this all started was that our reality had changed and it will never come back again. 
When the war first began, Anna and her daughter were able to leave Kiev and make it safely to Poland, and Alla was visiting friends in Malaga. Mrs. Stanich said, We spent almost two weeks in Ukraine after the war started. The first week we sat in our basement in Kiev and only used the house for showers or the bathroom. After the first week, we went to western Ukraine and spent another week there, hoping the situation would die down. But nothing changed. So we managed to make it to Pozna in Poland, where we started to apply for the visa. I was then able to get to Malaga after a week in Poland with my daughter to see my mother. One of Mrs. Fraser's former colleagues from when he, she worked in Poland put Anna in touch with the couple and they met in Malaga before coming to the UK. Mrs. Stanich and her family waited for a month for their visa and flew to Glasgow before taking several trains, buses and taxis to get to Worcester. Mrs. Fraser has been keen to ensure the family have been feeling welcome and safe in Worcester and shared that it has been hard seeing what they have been going through. She said, I could burst into tears at the drop of a hat. I am a grandparent, as is Allah. It is hard watching what they are going through. We just want them to be safe. We have loved having them here. If anyone can step forward and help, please do so. It's so important. And if you can help a Ukrainian family, please email ukraine-2wr at gmail.com. And the headline story for Wednesday, May the 4th is Double Heartache. Family pin hopes on dream trip for brothers with life expectancy of two. And there's a photograph of two little boy toddlers. And inside the paper there's another photo of the two little boys with their sister. The dream trip for brothers. A family faces heart heartbreak as two brothers with the same genetic condition are only likely to live to the age of two. Rocky and Bentley Smith, aged two and one, both need 24-hour care and are constantly in and out of hospital. They su both suffer from spinal muscular atrophy, SMA, a genetic condition that causes severe mobility and breathing issues. Children with the condition have a life expectancy of about two years and the race is now on to raise money for a family holiday before it's too late. Their mother, Justine, says a memory-making trip to Disneyland would mean everything to the family. They're really happy boys, says Justine. Rocky loves his iPad. He can't really do anything else. He can't sit up and he can't swallow. Bentley is having gene therapy. We're trying to see if his movement gets better. He's constantly ill. She added, when Rocky gets ill, they take him to Worcestershire. Royal Hospital because that's what it states in their care plan. But they can't take him in because he needs specialist treatment, 
so they waited an ambulance until he can be taken to Birmingham or Stoke. It sounds bad, but we've got used to it because it's the same every time. It's a constant battle. Rocky was just three months old when he was first admitted to hospital with breathing difficulties. When his lungs and airways collapsed, he spent three months in intensive care in Stoke. They were telling us it was either muscular dystrophy or SMA, but he'd been so poorly I couldn't listen, said Justine. When they sat us down and said he'd got SMA and that life expectancy is two, it was such a shock. Now Rocky is two, we've had to plan his end-of-life care. And doing that really brought it all home. We couldn't face it when he was a baby. And I still really didn't want to do it, but it had to be done. Justine said husband Rocky is amazing and that daughter Lexi, nine, has been really good, even learning to use some of the medical equipment her brothers rely on. Justine and her husband both gave up work to look after the boys and the trip to Disneyland is likely to be expensive with the cheapest quotes to ensure Rocky and Bentley coming in at £1,700. Staff and customers at Majestic Bingo in Worcester have been fundraising for the family from Welland near Malvern and Katie Sartain has donated £1,000 from her company Dragon Star Security. She says, I've buried a child and it's something you don't get over. We're trying to raise money to try to ease the financial burden on them. To donate, visit gofundme.com forward slash f forward slash once hyphen in hyphen a hyphen life hyphen dream hyphen holiday. And on Thursday, May the 5th, today's headline, it's weeks after 294 knives handed in at Amnesty, police arrest people carrying these blades. And there's a picture of two very vicious-looking knives. A hunting knife and a flick knife carried by alleged drug dealers on the city streets have been seized by police only weeks after a city-wide amnesty. Police arrested two people in relation to supplying drugs. Officers pointed out they were being carried in public, middle of the day, by individuals supplying drugs. A spokesperson from South Worcestershire, proactive CID team, said... Thieves' knives were recovered by the team during two recent arrests in Worcester. They were being carried in public middle of the day by individuals supplying drugs. The seizure follows 294 weapons being handed in at the Knife Angel amnesty box in the city in March. Cathedral Ward Councillor Lynn Denham said, Having had the knife angel in Worcester so recently, it's quite shocking to hear that knives are being carried, presumably with intent to be used, less than five weeks later. Not only did we have the knife angel, which was a really powerful and emotional statement in Cathedral Square, a lot of knives and weapons were handed in as part of the amnesty and would hope that and you would hope that would have kept these weapons off the streets 
Local officers and the community safety team did a huge amount of work with schools and educational sessions, and it's shocking to hear this. It's a reminder of just how dangerous these weapons are. Well, we're working Hannah very hard this this <laughs> evening because I'm now going to ask her to read the sports article which she's chosen from this week's selection. Hannah, thank you. So the final awaits is the headline: Simpson stars as Worcester fight back to seal their place in the Premiership Rugby Cup final. Worcester Warriors reached a top-flight final for the first time in 13 years as they beat Gloucester at Kingsholm 39 to 25 in their Premiership Rugby Cup semi-final. It was also the first win at Kingsholm in 12 years as Warriors fought back from 18-7 down in the first half to win with room to spare to book their place in the final against London Irish. Scrum half Gareth Simpson was the star of the show as he scored two and set one up with Dunham van der Merwe, Neil Annett and Tom Howe also crossing the line. Gloucester had scored through Cameron Jordan and Jake Morris to lead 18-14 at half-time and a try from Arthur Clarke late on almost threatened a comeback by Annette crossed in the final minutes to secure the win. Despite there being a, a lot less experience in the Gloucester side for the game, it was the hosts who looked the most co- cohesive side in the first half. George Barton's penalty in front of the posts put them ahead, but Simpson soon changed that. Simpson's chip and chase over the Gloucester defence saw him set Tom Howe free down to the right and the winger finished aerobatically in the corner to give Worcester the lead. But Gloucester came back and scored two tries of their own as they began to build a little lead. First, Cameron Jordan powered over the line after 20 minutes before winger Jake Morris crossed just after the half-hour mark. At 18.7, the hosts were in control, but Simpson was not done for the half just yet, and he scampered round the blind side and found room down the left to cross in the corner just a couple of moments before half-time to reduce the lead to four points at 18.14. Simpson was standing out, and it would take just nine minutes for the scrum half to again be involved after the break, as a move down the left ended with a lively nine going under the posts. The tide had turned, and when winger Dunham van der Merwe bulldozed his way over the whitewash, Worcester had one foot in the final, especially when a penalty try and a yellow card for Gloucester's Henry Walker soon followed. At 18.31, replacement Jamie Shilcock opted for the posts to stretch the lead, heading towards the final 10 minutes. Clark did scramble over the over to give some hope at 25-34, but a flowing Worcester move ended with Hooker Annette diving over the front of a large group of Worcester supporters to seal the deal. 
So now we move on to published letters and I'm going to ask Rian to start. Nine city councillors have written, um, namely Mel Alcott of Clanes, Marjorie Bissett of St Stephen's, Jenny Barnes of Arboretum, Lynn Denham of Cathedral, Louise Griffiths of Battenhall, Joe Hodges of Warnden, Karen Lawrence of Clanes, Karen Lewing of Arboretum and Robin Norfolk of St John's. And their letter reads, Dear Editor, The Mail on Sunday recently published an article asserting that due to her working class background, Angela Rayner, the deputy leader of the Labour Party, is unable to tackle the Prime Minister's Etonian debating skills and that instead she has to resort to some form of sexual deceit to put the PM off his stride. According to the paper's sources, it is, of course, inconceivable that she is able to defeat the Prime Minister in debate using her intelligence. The nation's media has a track of record of this form of misogyny. Jackie Smith, the first woman Home Secretary, was criticised for showing some cleavage only visible from the gallery in the House of Commons. Theresa May, the then Home Secretary, was also criticised for bearing a bit of décolletage. To add some context, the Sunday Times has recently reported that as many as 56 MPs are under investigation for sexual misconduct. Earlier this year, Councillor Marjorie Bissett argued that many women feel intimidated when speaking in the council chambers because the city council is dominated by men. Councillor Louise Griffiths, in her valedictory speech to Worcester City Council in March this year, asserted that she had watched people across the chamber, usually women, being bullied for their views. Women councillors have been told to expect sharp interchange rather than reasoned debate for far too long. The UN has found that better decisions are made when women are involved, citing childcare and drinking water projects in Norway and India as prime examples. Of course, women have a better understanding of women's priorities, including VAWG, women's health and the impact of issues relating to women's work, finances and equality. Women councillors working together have been instrumental in Worcester City Council approving a menopause policy last December and appointing our first equality, diversity and inclusion champion in March. There is evidence to suggest that the electorate regard institutions like the City Council as fairer and more democratic when there is gender equality. Despite making up 50% of the city's population, only 34% of our councillors are women and of the four directors, only one is a woman. Worcester deserves a council that represents and celebrates the diversity of the city's population ensuring everyone is included in the services we deliver. Women from across the political divide have a role in delivering fairness and inclusion, and men must work with us. Reasonable adjustments still need to be made to ensure equal representation at the top table, that our committee chairs reflect our diversity, disabled councillors are supported, and that our code of conduct addresses sexism and discrimination. Another letter has been received by Peter Merricks of Worcester. It reads, Dear Editor, On May 10th, the Queen will be in Parliament delivering this year's Queen's speech announcing the Government's priorities. 
I believe that plans to improve our democracy should be at the heart of that speech. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has highlighted the vulnerability of democracy around the world. In response to this, the government should take steps to strengthen and modernise our democracy at home. Measures that would help include a fair voting system that ensures no party can achieve absolute power on the basis of a minority of the votes. We also need change to ensure more transparency and accountability of our elected representatives. With trust in politicians at an all-time low, this Queen's speech needs concrete action to begin the process of restoring trust. I hope our local MP will support the calls for change made by Unlock Democracy and other campaign groups. Well, I have two letters. The first is from Dr Marion Helm and it's headed Get NHS Out of Private Hands. Dear Editor, I have noticed that the changes to the NHS outlined in the Health and Care Bill have not received much attention in local papers. This bill opens the door for private companies to make decisions in the NHS and extract huge profits for owners and shareholders from funding that should go to helping people. The chair of the new Integrated Care Services Board of Directors overseeing Herefordshire and Worcestershire, Krishni Waring, has power to rule this out. I've emailed them and they haven't committed to doing that. I ask the chair to prevent people who work for private companies joining the ICS board to bring back into the NHS services which have been outsourced to the private sector and to retain services within the NHS. I worked for almost 40 years in social care and in higher education training medical and health care practitioners. The NHS is not perfect, but it has been by far the most equitable and efficient model of providing health care for the last 60 years. My family, through four generations, relied on the NHS to get us through many difficult health problems and we've not been let down. My personal experience of a healthcare programme badged by the NHS, 2019 Healthier You National Diabetes Prevention Programme, was that those parts of the programme outsourced to a private company based in North America were chaotic, mismanaged, unaccountable, and I suspect grossly overfunded for what was actually delivered. And the second letter is from Adrian Gregson, who is the leader of the Labour Group in Worcester City Council. And it's labelled Bring Down Full Fuel Costs. Dear Editor, you can argue about the causes of the cost of living crisis, from war to plague to government policy, but you can't argue that it is here and very real. What can we do to mitigate the problems for people in Worcester? The root of these rises in food, drink, clothing, transport fares, essential goods and equipment all seems to be fuel. Locally, we need to prioritise schemes that build homes that are energy efficient, 
invest in local public transport and do more to support community fridges, food banks and similar schemes. But fundamentally, rather than allowing private global energy companies to let their boards feast on the profits, we should be taxing them to bring that money back into our economic supply chain and bring those costs down. The letters I'm reading are from Friday, April the 29th. And the first letter is from Mike Levins of Worcester, and the headline is, They Will Always Want to Reach UK. Dear Editor, I am pleased that Francis Lancaster, in his letter, What is more, the More Useful, published on April the 27th, agrees that it is acceptable for the Archbishop of Canterbury to express his opinion of the government's proposals to deport illegal immigrants to Rwanda. However, I cannot agree that Justin Welby's moral compass is aligned incorrectly. Possibly Mr Lancaster has misunderstood the Archbishop's message, since I am not aware that anything in his comments suggested he was in favour of people continuing to die in their attempts to cross the English Channel. What he was drawing attention to was the inappropriateness of the scheme as a solution to the problem of so-called gangsters taking advantage of the existing inadequate mechanisms for dealing with a potential asylum seekers and economic migrants. If I understand the proposals correctly, individuals will only be sent to Rwanda once they arrive in Britain. At the moment, due to the absence of alternative safe routes, many are forced to come via a dangerous sea crossing – this will not change. To compound this problem, women and children are excluded from the proposals, so may well not be put off by the threat of being sent to Rwanda. Whether we like it or not, many disadvantaged people want to come to Britain, and whilst poverty and wars persist throughout the world, they will continue to do so. The idea that a very limited scheme in terms of the numbers proposed one that leading independent experts considered to be a breach of international law and therefore morally wrong, will have a major impact on reducing this traffic, is at best optimistic. The second letter is from Roger Allen of Worcester, and the title is Come Back in 5022. Dear Editor, this is the first letter I have written to the newspaper, but I can, cannot ignore the ridiculous scare story, Rising Tide of Danger, published in, on April 27th, that suggests some areas of central Worcester could be submerged by rising sea level in just eight years. The map shown is said to reflect threats from permanent future sea level rise. The facts show that this is purely a scare story having no factual basis. The website of the Permanent Service for Mean Sea Level at psmsl.org forward slash data, a UK organisation funded by the National Environment Research Council, provides the facts. Annual sea level data for numerous sites around the UK is available, in particular data from North Shields, goes back to 1896 and data from Newlyn in Cornwall 
goes back to 1916. Please look at this information yourself. The data from both locations shows no significant increase in the rate of sea level rise, around 300 millimetres per 100 years, a rate that has probably not changed since the end of the last ice age. The central areas of Worcester are around 10 metres above current sea level. So, at 300 millimetres per 100 years, we can expect permanent seawater on the new road ground by the year 5000, a little longer than 2030. And the third letter is from Sandra McNair, the NSPCC Assistant Director for the Midlands, titled Mental Health in Maternity. Dear Editor, next week... May the 2nd to 8th marks Maternal Mental Health Awareness Week, an annual event led by the Perinatal Mental Health Partnership, which is dedicated to supporting the mental health of new mothers and mums-to-be. We at the NSPCC know that becoming a parent can be stressful. Perinatal mental health problems are common and affect more than one in five mums and one in ten dads during a pregnancy and after birth. It can make it harder for parents to build bonds with their baby and provide the foundational care that babies need for healthy social, intellectual and emotional development. If you or someone you know feels anxious about your pregnancy, it's important to remember that support is available. Sometimes taking the first step to access that support can be difficult, but it's always worthwhile. Whether you're pregnant and experiencing more worries than usual, or you've noticed your mood has changed, we have a new NSPCC service called Pregnancy in Mind that is dedicated to support families affected by maternal mental health. Pregnancy in Mind aims to support new parents who may be experiencing or are at risk of developing anxiety or depression during or following pregnancy and is being offered as a virtual programme to parents-to-be who are between the weeks of 12 and 34 weeks of pregnancy. Attendees don't need a partner to access the service. To find out more about Pregnancy in Mind service, phone 0115-960-5481 or email midlandshubadmin at nspcc.org.uk And now I'm going to ask Hannah to start our round of the articles from this week's paper. Thank you. The first one is a sports story again, but it's a good uh, news story about a blind football team. So I thought that might interest readers or listeners rather. A University of Worcester student captained England's blind football team on her debut. Alice Hopkins, 21, captained the women's B1 blind team, which welcomed Sweden for a series of five-a-side matches. The game finished nil-nil, but for the creative writing and history student, it was the culmination of months of hard work. She said, there are only seven players as we are slowly growing, but to be playing at an international level is unreal. 
I cannot wait to see where the future takes me. I hope I can continue to play for England as I love the sport. Although we're still not fully developed, we love wearing the England kit. As the team is still very new, captains are swapped around, but I got to captain the team for the last game and it was such a great experience. Alice approached the University of Worcester Students' Union last year to express an interest in football. Chloe McLeod, chair of women's football, said they had not worked with a visually impaired player before. Working with Captain Emma Collins, a sports coaching disability sport, the team were able to create a training plan specifically designed for Alice. Emma began coaching Alice each week just before Christmas in view of the England women's trials after the turn of the year. Emma said, The development Alice has made since starting our sessions is amazing. She is now a more confident player on the ball and is constantly willing to learn which is exactly what is desired in an athlete. Alice is a fantastic example of someone with a love of a sport who works hard for her success. England's new para-talent pathway is fantastic and has given many people the opportunity to compete at the highest level. We need to celebrate Alice's achievements as an international B1 player so we can expose more people to para-football to ensure equal opportunities are given to all in our game. B1 football is open to completely or almost blind athletes. Chloe McLeod said they would continue to support students with disabilities in the years to come. As a club, we pride ourselves on being inclusive and when the opportunity arose to work with Alice, we could not wait to see where this could go. This is something that I hope next year we can carry on a club as a club and encourage other sports clubs and universities to do the same, she said. A controversial plan to build what would be the city's biggest homeless shelter could still go ahead, despite being rejected by the council for being in the wrong place. The work to convert the student halls, known as Court Mews in Worcester's Farrier Street, into a 48-bed homeless shelter was thrown out by the City Council's planning committee last year over anti-social behaviour and safeguarding fears. Councillors also ruled it would be inappropriate to build the shelter in the city centre next to a number of restaurants and nightclubs. Manchester-based Grolar Developments has lodged an appeal with the government's planning inspectorate hoping to get the decision overturned. If the inspector finds the planning committee was wrong to reject the plan, it could overrule the council and allow the work to go ahead. Several independent businesses who helped revitalise the neglected area of the city centre said they feared their hard work would be ruined by building a homeless refuge on their doorstep when the plan was first put forward last year. Last year, Sam McCarthy from Worcester Bid said building the shelter would deter businesses from moving to the area. 
This development will stop further development in this area and may well make existing businesses move away from the area or out of Worcester completely. This could lose jobs for local people, evidenced already by concerns raised by neighbouring businesses such as Worcester White House Hotel, the Burger Shop and the University of Worcester, she said in an objection to the council. The shelter's lacklustre management plan was also criticised by neighbouring business owners who said it was in complete contrast to other established city facilities such as St Paul's Hostel which accommodates a similar number of homeless people but employs 15 staff and has 11 trustees rather than just one security guard in the evening and an off-site manager. The city's historic railway arches have been going through a multi-million pound transformation in the last few years to create a new cultural and creative hub as well as create new links between Worcester Foregate Street and the River Severn. The next article is headed Pigeon Flew into Drink Driver's Car. A drink driver was close to four times the limit when a pigeon flew into his car. Matthew Orford, who had a child in the car with him, was spotted mounting the curb and nearly hitting pedestrians during the incident in Worcester, blaming his driving in part on the bird which had flown through his open window. The 32-year-old bidman of Jacob Drive, Lower Broadheath, admitted driving with excess alcohol when he appeared before magistrates in Worcester. It is Orford's second offence of drink driving in the last 10 years, which meant magistrates had to impose a longer ban. Orford, who has since lost his dad to pancreatic cancer, was stopped in a Ford Focus in Croft Road, Worcester, on March the 27th. After failing a roadside breath test, an evidential specimen at Worcester Police Station showed the level of alcohol to be four times the limit. Holly Sims, prosecuting, said another driver became so concerned about the manner of Orford's driving that she dialed 999. As she drove along Bromyard Road, near the junction with Broadway Grove in St John's, the car remained stationary even though the lights had changed. When the woman sounded her horn, Orford was described as making aggressive gestures towards her. She described him speeding off round the corner nearly on two wheels and on the wrong side of the road, clipping the curb. The defendant mounted the curb again, narrowly missing two males on the pavement, said Miss Sims. The witness described a bird flying into the defendant's car through an open window. The vehicle braked, coming to a virtual stop, and then sped up, said the prosecutor. Miss Sims added, he continued swerving from lane to lane. Orford drove on and ignored a police car with its siren sounding. He attempted to hide by parking the vehicle on a private driveway, said Miss Sims. Orford had a friend's son, aged 13, in the car with him. 
Mr Orford refused to provide details and was slurring his words, said Miss Sims. Mark Turnbull, defending, said his client had consumed alcohol the day before after being told his father had been diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer. His father died on April the 19th. When asked how he was coping, he said, not well, certainly at the time he wasn't coping, said Mr Turnbull, and added, he doesn't remember much about the detail, but he does remember the pigeon flying into his car. That might explain some of the swerving and braking. Magistrates sentenced him to eight weeks in prison, suspended for 12 months, banning him from driving for 48 months. They also ordered him to complete 15 rehabilitation activity requirement days and 150 hours of unpaid work. Orford must pay costs of £135 and a victim surcharge of £34. The next article is about the 144 bus service from Worcester to Birmingham. And the headline is Reprieve for Bus Route. Bus passengers will be able to travel from Worcester to Birmingham for at least another six months despite a popular route being cut. But the new solution will involve making two changes to get into Birmingham city centre. First Bus announced earlier this month that the 144 service from Worcester, which stops at Droitwich and Bromsgrove, would terminate at Catshill instead of Birmingham on Sunday, May the 1st. The news shocked bus users who rely on the service to get to work and elderly passengers with no other way of getting around. Now an agreement between Worcestershire County Council and National Express West Midlands has brought a solution, for now at least. National Express will operate a service running between Bromsgrove, Catshill, Rubri and Longbridge from Tuesday May the 3rd replacing the sections lost from the changes to the 144 service run by First Bus. Passengers will now be able to change buses at Bromsgrove bus station and travel onwards to Rubri and Longridge, where they can connect to frequent services into Birmingham. The service will run hourly from Monday to Saturday and a timetable will be released shortly. This arrangement will last for the next six months while the County Council reviews the network and looks for a longer-term solution. Nigel Eggleton, Managing Director at First Worcester, had said the 144 carried few passengers between Catshill and Birmingham in the last 12 months, which led led the company to remove the link to Birmingham. He said COVID and the fact that more people were working from home were among the things having an impact on bus services. Our 144 service has been established for many years and has served people very well, linking Worcester with Droitwich, Bromsgrove, Catshill and Birmingham, he said. For over 12 months now, we have carried very few people between Catshill and Birmingham, resulting in us having to make this difficult decision to remove the link to Birmingham. Worcester councillor Richard Udall said the bus route was not only one of the oldest in the country, but was once used by the real-life counterparts of the Peaky Blinders. Worcester and Birmingham have historically been linked by public transport. 
To cut the link is short-sighted, unprofessional and damaging, he said. A bird has made a home in an unusual place in a park, in a cigarette bin. The blue tit has built a nest and laid eggs inside the cigarette bin on Gellivald Park in Barbourne. A kind park user has created a sign to warn people not to use the bin as park officials have decided to let it stay. The message on the sign says, Bird nesting in here. Please do not disturb or place litter in the bin. Worcester City Council park keeper Neil Bushell said, I checked what was going on. It's unfortunate that there was a spoon in there. I can take the bottom off the bin, but it will disturb the nest. The city council has decided to let the bird stay for the time being, rather than try to remove it elsewhere. Mr Bushell said, I imagine if you touch the nest with your hands, the bird will leave. I'm going to leave it as it is. I was thinking of taking the post and putting it in my yard, but I think we just need to monitor it. Mr Bushell has been working at the park for the past four years and says this is the first time something like this has happened. It's a bit unique, really, and I hope it comes to fruition. We had an otter once and a kingfisher who has become a regular. The bird's unusual nesting spot in a cigarette bin next to a plastic spoon has caused a bit of a stir online. TikTok user Rob Hedge uploaded a video which has been viewed almost 240,000 times. Woodland Trust said that generally blue tits lay eggs throughout April and into early May. The female spends up to 15 days incubating once the clutch is complete using a featherless area of skin on her tummy called a brood patch to keep the eggs warm. Her partner brings her deliveries of food during this time, but she must also occasionally leave the eggs to feed. A month of roadworks is expected to cause lengthy delays on a busy city road. Temporary traffic lights will be on Tolladine Road while Seven Trent Water replaces old water pipes. The work will begin on Monday and is set to be completed by Friday, June the 3rd. Seven Trent contractors will carry out the work on a section of road near the junction for Ambleside Drive and the Virgin Tavern Pub. A set of two-way traffic lights will be installed to slow down the flow of traffic on the road whilst the work is being completed. A spokesperson from Seven Trent Water said, Please be aware that although we try to stick to these dates, they may change due to circumstances beyond our control. Access to homes, businesses and emergency vehicles will be maintained at all times. However, there may be occasions when a vehicle's access to your property is restricted for short periods of time. For example, when we're working on the road directly outside your property. We'll let you know in advance if this is going to be the case. Seven Trent Water assures residents of Tolladine Road that it will do everything it can to minimise any inconvenience and complete the work as quickly as possible. Residents are being told to contact them if they have specific requirements or needs. A spokesperson from Seven Trent Water added, If we plan to interrupt your water supply, we'll notify you in advance with a card posted through your door normally 48 hours before work starts, letting you know the date, earliest start time and the latest end time that your water will be interrupted. 
We'll be doing our best to make sure your water supply is unaffected for the duration of our work, especially during this difficult time. You may want to store some extra water in jugs or containers during this period so you can continue to wash your hands and flush the toilet. It's advisable to avoid using any appliances connected to the water supply during this period. Seven Trent Water has also said that after this work, water may appear discoloured, but that is th- that this is nothing to be concerned about and that the colour of your water will quickly return to normal. My next article is Babies to get test in the womb for eye cancer. A life-saving test that allows doctors to spot a rare form of eye cancer in babies in the womb is being rolled out by the NHS in England this week. Thanks to a new NH test developed at Birmingham Women's and Children's NHS Foundation Trust, babies identified as being at risk of developing retinoblastoma can be monitored and treated sooner increasing the chance of saving their eyesight and potentially their lives. Symptoms of retinoblastoma are hard to detect and a diagnosis can normally only be made once the tumour has progressed and the eye can't be saved. The new non-invasive test can detect changes in the genes in DNA and is likely to identify around 50 infants with retinoblastoma each year. In the latest example of the NHS harnessing the power of genomics to diagnose and treat patients faster and more effectively. Non-invasive prenatal diagnosis, NIPD, also means parents can be informed early in pregnancy if their child is at risk. The blood sample test is taken from the mother before birth and tested and analysed for mutations, which can determine with almost 100% accuracy if the baby will develop retinoblastoma. Treatment can then start on the affected eye as soon as the baby is born, with doctors closely monitoring the other eye for any signs. The test can also predict if the disease might develop in their siblings and will be offered to families where there's a confirmed case of retinoblastoma in the family. On top of the cutting-edge new test, Birmingham Women's and Children's Hospitals is also developing a non-invasive postnatal cancer test for retinoblastoma patients using eye fluid which can also identify if a patient is at risk from other cancers later in life. It's hoped that in the future, this could be eventually done by a simple blood test. NHS Chief Executive Amanda Pritchard said, The introduction of this pioneering new test is fantastic news for babies and their parents and has the potential to save hundreds of lives over the coming years. Cancer is such a terrible illness and a baby being born with it can have a huge impact on parents and families during what should be an incredibly happy time. But backed by world-class innovation and services like the NHS Genomic Medicine Service, 
Through the long-term plan, the NHS is developing and delivering more cutting-edge treatments like this one to help save lives and keep families together. Stephanie Allen, consultant clinical scientist at Birmingham Women's Hospital, said, An early diagnosis will allow clinicians to manage, monitor and prepare treatments much earlier, which can transform the prognosis for the baby. It will also give the family certainty and allow them to prepare for the birth, knowing the support the clinical team will give them. The next article is titled Music on Café Menu. A former restaurant in a historic part of the city could become a live music venue under new plans. Café Rouge in Friar Street closed down in 2020 and has been empty since. A notice has gone up in the window for an application to change the licensing of the premises. A plan to convert it into homes is still being considered by Worcester City Council, with the ground floor supposed to remain as a business. This application would allow for the extension of business hours from Monday to Sunday, 10am until 1am. Piano Lounge would also have a licence for both live and recorded music. The status of the application is currently unknown, with the apartments plan for the site currently still active on the Worcester City Council planning website. Workmen could be seen in recent weeks painting the frontage of the building and covering the windows with whitewash, ready for the next stages of the building's future. The building's facade is now an olive green colour, changed from the red of Café Rouge. The applicant is listed on the site notice as... Friar Street Investments Limited. Last year, plans for apartments at Café Rouge were submitted, which would turn it into three flats and a six-room house of multi- multiple occupation, HMO. The ground floor and part of the first floor of the Grade 2 listed building would remain open for commercial use and be replaced with a new shop, restaurant or café. The studio flats would measure between 30 and 33 square metres each, with the two HMOs each measuring 74 and 78 square metres. Café Rouge closed down in 2020 after parent company, Casual Dining Group, the owner of Bella Italia, Café Rouge and Las Iguanas, said it would close 91 of its 250 restaurants. A statement included with the application said... The proposed development makes use of the existing internal layout with minimal structural alterations. Otherwise, the external appearance and character of the building will remain unchanged. The proposed design creates a mixed-use repurposing of the empty commercial premises, bringing 24-hour commercial and residential life to the historic city conservation area, as well as safeguarding the heritage asset for the future. A teenager who spat at a man and his mum before punching his victim while holding a machete has been spared jail. Oliver Brighton of Stalls Farm, Droitwich, carried out the attack in Evesham, breaking the victim's tooth and is looking to move to stable accommodation in Worcester. 
The 19-year-old admitted assault occasioning actual bodily harm and possession of a bladed article in a public place when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Friday, supported by an outreach worker. He left court laughing as he got in a car with the worker. Judge James Burbage, QC, who handed Brighton a suspended sentence, made it clear he would have ordered Brighton's immediate detention for two years had he known about these offences when he sentenced him for another matter in February last year. Brighton was handed a 30-month community order by the same judge after he admitted possession of an offensive weapon and criminal damage. However, because of work... Brighton had since completed with the probation service and because he has remained out of trouble, the judge argued he could be rehabilitated. He ordered any breaches of his suspended sentence order to be reserved to himself. Simon Hunker, prosecuting, said the incident happened in Evesham when the victim was walking through Evesham town with his mum in the early hours of September 4th, 2020. Brighton spattered them out of an upstairs window, prompting the victim's mum, who attended court, to tell him in modest terms, don't spit. Brighton responded, it didn't hit you. The defendant, who was slurring his words, then made physical threats to her son before a group of four approached the victim and his mum. One of the group said, you want to get away or my friend will hurt you. The male victim was punched all of a sudden to the right-hand side of his face, the punches coming from behind. Other males did not take part in the assault itself but held the victim by the upper arm so he could not get away. Mr Hunker said he, Brighton, then produced either a knife or a machete. It was certainly an implement with a blade that was long, around 10 inches. While holding the blade, he struck the victim to the same part of the face. The blow caused a broken tooth at the front, which required dental treatment. He also had cuts and bruises to his right arm, said Mr Hunker. Michael Aspinall, defending, said he had been drinking and taking drugs. He's very sorry for what happened. Judge Burbage sentenced Brighton to 20 months in prison, suspended for 18 months and he must pay compensation to his victim of £250. A new arts and theatre venue is hoped to revive Worcester's city centre. The City Council has hired architects and consultants to work on a project which will see the Scala Theatre and Grade 2 listed Corn Exchange buildings transformed into a performing arts and theatre venue. The move comes alongside a wider revival of the Angel Place area, with plans to revamp the currently empty building at 8 Angel Street, formerly home to a co-op supermarket. David Blake, Managing Director of Worcester City Council, said, It's very exciting to be progressing this major investment in the northern part of the city centre. This project will stimulate economic growth in Worcester, creating a new city centre hub for theatre, music, comedy and more. 
The broader regeneration of the Angel Street and Angel Place area will also bring social, economic and environmental benefits alongside new living opportunities in the city centre and the enhancement of some of our city's most striking historic buildings. The council received £17.9 million from the government's future High Streets Fund to revamp the area around Angel Place and Angel Street. Improvements have already begun with work taking place to upgrade the pavements and environment of the area. The council recently completed the acquisition of the Scala following its purchase of the Corn Exchange and 8 Angel Street last year. Architects Burrell Foley Fisher have been appointed to design the new theatre and cultural hub, which the council say will offer leading theatrical music and performance facilities. The company has a history of designing arts facilities, including the Hall for Cornwall in Truro, the Almeida Theatre in London, the Crucible in Sheffield and the Onassis Cultural Centre in Athens. Specialist theatre consultants, Theatre Plan, have also been appointed to work on the project. The firm has previously worked on Battersea Arts Centre, the Glasgow Citizens Theatre and Sydney Opera House. Equals Consulting have been hired as the project managers and cost consultants have previously worked on projects at the Royal Opera House, Natural History Museum and the British Museum. A planning application is expected to be submitted in the coming months. Tribute to a lovely man killed in a fire. Emotional tributes have been paid to a man who died after injuries sustained in a flat fire in Warnden. The fire began at a property in Randwick Drive shortly before 5pm on Thursday. Members of the community have been leaving their tributes to the man, who is being named as Peter by people on social media. West Mercia Police have yet to formally confirm the identity of the man involved. Donna Martindale said, So sad to hear that this, he was a lovely man. His wife must be so upset. My thoughts are with the family at this sad time. Michelle Pawley said, So, so sad, a lovely man. Thoughts are with all his family at a very difficult time. Denise George said, This is so sad. He used to come into work to do his shopping. Lovely man. Elliot Church said, Rest in peace. I live in flats nearby and I was startled by the news. Amy Elizabeth Robery said, Such a shame. Rest in peace. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said, West Mercia Police attended a property in Worcester on Thursday, April 28th, following reports of a house fire. Officers can confirm that an 81-year-old man was taken to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital to be treated for burns, but has now sadly died. Fire investigators are investigating the cause of the fire. However, initial inquiries suggest it was accidental. Next of kin have been informed. Three fire crews, two from Ordroitwich and one from Worcester, were alerted to the fire on Thursday. 
The crews extinguished the flames before handing the man over to a critical incident team and an air ambulance team. A Midlands air ambulance from Strensham arrived at around 5pm, landing on fields near Fairfield Day Nursery, before leaving at around 6.10pm. Police also attended the incident. The next article shows a picture of the car park in front of Worcestershire Royal Hospital and the title is Trust Reveals Latest on Hospital Parking and the article is written by Joe Ringshall of Health, of Health Watch. Hospital parking is an issue that has often been raised with us at Health Watch Worcestershire, especially in terms of car park capacity and being able to find somewhere a space. At the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, all parking charges were suspended. But two years on from the beginning of April, the suspension was lifted and NHS trusts may reinstate charges. However, new guidance specifies that free parking must continue for disabled people who are blue badge holders, frequent outpatients attendees, parents of sick children who are staying overnight and staff working night shifts. The guidance recommends that NHS organisations should make sure that people can get to the site and park if necessary as safely, conveniently and economically as possible. Concessions, including free or reduced charges, should be available for carers and visitors in certain circumstances, for example when a relative is gravely ill. The guidance also states that clear information should be available about parking and any charges, both on-site and in advance of attending, such as on websites and with appointment letters. We contacted both the Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust and Herefordshire and Worcestershire Health and Care NHS Trust to ask about their intentions in relation to implementing the new guidance. The Acute Trust, which runs Worcestershire Royal Hospital, Alexandra Hospital in Redditch and Kidderminster Hospital, has told us that it has not yet reintroduced any parking charges at its hospitals, but plans to review this in mid-May. The Health and Care Trust run the community hospitals in Worcestershire, in Bromsgrove, Malvern, Evesham, Tenbury and Pershaw, in addition to inpatient rehabilitation and mental health units. It told us that while it does not plan to reinstate staff parking charges until September, it has reintroduced general charges for visitors. It confirmed that it is complying with the new guidance, including providing free parking for blue badge holders and visitors of longer stay patients and are publicising this in their patient welcome packs. As with all issues related to local health and social care services, we welcome your feedback, so please visit the news page of our website, healthwatchworcestershire.co.uk, to read the new guidance, and the Tell Us page to share your experience with us anonymously. You can also contact us on 01386 550264 or info at healthwatchworcestershire.uk.
A man who was rescued from the River Severn refused to go to hospital. Firefighters pulled the man to safety after he fell into the water and kept him warm until the ambulance service arrived. Paramedics assessed the man at the riverside, but he refused to be taken to hospital. He was discharged at the scene and left in the care of police officers. The fire service was called to the river at 12.52 a.m. near New Road, Worcester, after receiving reports that a person was in the water. West Mercia Police, West Midlands Ambulance Service and Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue were all called to the riverside. A spokesperson from the West Midlands Ambulance said, We were called by the fire service at 1.40am to the river near New Road in Worcester to reports of a person in the water. Two paramedic officers, an ambulance crew and a critical care paramedic attended the scene. The man had already been pulled from the water when crews arrived. He was assessed but declined hospital treatment, so was discharged on scene and left in the care of the police. A spokesperson for Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue said, A call came in from West Mercia Police at 12.52am this morning, that Sunday. This was a police-led incident, but we were asked to stand by at the scene. We deployed a boat from Worcester, a boat from Evesham and an appliance from Worcester to go to the scene. But the man was rescued from the water with the help of our rescue sled. After he was safely out of the water, we kept him warm until the ambulance arrived. The casualty was then assisted by the ambulance service and West Mercia police and treated by paramedics. We left the scene at 2.26am. Thank you, Hannah. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. So, thank you very much indeed to Penny, Hannah, Rian and Nigel for an excellent recording and also to Carol Hartle for leading the vital admin provision. We do hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll be back for more next time. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. 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 Patricia Diane Powell, nay Smith, known as Pat, passed away peacefully surrounded by family, on the 20th of April 2022 at home, aged 86 years. Funeral service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 11th of May at 1pm. Family flowers only please. Donations if desired for Acorns Children's Hospice. Barry Orford passed away peacefully at home on April the 19th, 2022. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, May the 12th at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, donations for Pancreatic Cancer UK 
and the RNLI. And Frederick Dancox passed away aged 89 years at Worcester Royal Hospital. Cremation at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, May the 12th at 2.30pm. Donations, if desired, for the stroke unit at Worcester Royal Hospital. Anne Roberts, nay Higgins. It is with great sorrow that we announce that Anne died on 9th of April 2022, aged 89 years after a brief illness. The funeral service was held at Whittington Church on Friday 6th of May 2022 at 12.45pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations welcomed for the Midlands Air Ambulance Charity. Cecil Courtney Vivian Robinson. Cecil passed away peacefully on the 14th of April, aged 93. Private family cremation will be followed by a service of thanksgiving at Himbleton Church, Church Lane, WR9 7LG, at midday on Monday the 9th of May. No flowers. Donations to Alzheimer's UK, please. Joan Margaret Oakley, nay Lowe, formerly of the Holloway Droitwich Spa, passed away peacefully on 19th April 2022, aged 95 years. Funeral service will take place at Oakley Wood Crematorium in Leamington Spa, South Chapel, at 2.30pm on Wednesday the 18th of May. Family flowers only, but donations for Age UK. John Alfred Williams sadly passed away, surrounded by his loving family, on 9th April 2022. Resting at Worcester Funeral Care until the service at St Bartholomew's Church, Grimley, on Thursday the 12th of May at 1pm, followed by an interment in the churchyard. Family flowers only, but donations in memory of John may be made in favour of Red Hill Care Home or German Shepherd Dog Rescue. Teresa Collie, née Burford, formerly of Noel Court, passed away peacefully on the 16th of April 2022, aged 97 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 12th of May at 10am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Cancer Research UK. Joseph John, known as Joe Locke, formerly of Tolladine Road, Worcester, passed away peacefully on the 19th of April 2022, aged 67 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium Chapel on Wednesday the 11th of May at 12.15pm followed by internment in Astwood Cemetery. Flowers welcome, or if desired, donations for Cancer Research UK.